Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself will break down the guards for the Gators in our roster review. We'll talk about the season that the returning guards had, uh, a little bit of what's to come with the two incoming guards, and we'll also get into a couple transfers. Anthony DeRuji uh, is one who will be on campus this weekend. He'd be a sit one, play two. We're going to talk about him. Also talk about a potential big man transfer from Drexel, break down his game a little bit. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, for dropping the ratings on uh, iTunes. Thanks to the Gators Breakdown guys for the shout-out on their show. We really appreciate it. Make sure you check out Dave and those guys uh, for your spring game recap. And um, we hope you enjoy this show. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with, as always, or most of the time, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Um, Eric, how are you today? You know, for uh, even though it's, you know, Florida basketball is done and that brings me sadness, I would say I'm, I'm just still doing pretty well today. And uh, yeah, just happy to be uh, happy to be talking Florida basketball. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we finally like three shows after the season ends for Florida, we finally get to you know, discussing the way that the roster uh, closes the year, which I think is kind of cool, you know, because there's been so much going on. But uh, let's just start there. I mean, we want to – where should we – let's start with the guards. So the guards that are coming back are Noah Locke and Andrew Nimhard. Uh, And then – you just stop me when I'm forgetting someone. <laughs> and then coming in is Trey Mann. And should we, well, let's just call Scotty Lewis a forward and we'll keep him with that group. So you have Trey Mann and Quez Glover coming in, which gives Florida four guards. Um, and if I forgot someone, I'm sure you'll point it out. But why don't you go ahead and tell listeners kind of what you thought of the season that Andrew Nimhart had? Because I know you wrote a really good article and uh, Gator Country that people should check out about Nimhart's jump shot and kind of how it evolved and also how it went in. Right. Yeah. Just to, just to speak on that article, I mean, there's been a lot made about Andrew Nimhart's jump shot. Um, and you know what? It, it was really interesting to look at the numbers and see that he was actually like truly elite when it came to catch and shoot shooting. Uh, I was stunned at that number. Sorry, I know. I, I, I had to. I was so stunned by it um, just for the like, <laughs> this is the process. So. I was so stunned by it that, um, and the thing with synergy that I was looking at is they've got all the, um, whenever it has like a, a table with the data, you can, all, you can always click on the numbers and then it'll, it'll take you right to the film. So you can say, so if I was, so what happened was, um, and I don't have the article in front, I forget the exact numbers, but I mean, he was in the high forties as a, as a catch and shoot three point shooter, which is elite. It's ridiculous. So when I saw that number, yeah. I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, so I clicked on it and just started watching just to see, cause I, and I mean, occasionally there's like one or two possessions where, um, they're logged incorrectly and, um, but yeah, watching all his makes and, and all his misses, I was like, Oh no, these, these numbers are, are legitimate. So, um, I just think that's really important to, to realize this is like, wow, he was actually like an incredible catch and shoot jump shooter. So that's something that's really encouraging moving forward just because you know what, like Florida's offense wasn't great this year. We know that if Florida's offense was better, Andrew Nemhart's getting a whole lot more catch and shoot opportunities. And if that were the case, 
um, he becomes a very valuable offensive player from from kind of that uh, that standpoint. So when you look forward to to next season, where it's like okay, we could have um, Trey Mann handling the ball a little bit more when. Uh, with Andrew Nembhard off the ball or um, Keontae Johnson is maybe going to make some strides or Florida can get more, um, you know, have, have some front court players that can kind of play inside out. That'll make him a catch and shoot threat. Like there, there's a, there's a good chance if, you, you know, if, if Andrew Nembhard gets one more catch and shoot three attempt per game, his points per game just by that are probably going to go up by 1.5. If he can get two more catch and shoot, you know, per game, like just right there, he he's climbing and that's, um, that's really good to see. So um, that was something that was obviously, like, like Neil said, it was just stunning to see that he was so good there. Um, but what that also means, because his three-point percentage wasn't great, is that he was really not good at shooting off the dribble. So, and that's... So we've talked... No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna Yeah, so um, for someone who, um, once again, and, and those were, you know, watching that, those numbers of him shooting, missing shots off the dribble, um, it was also a little bit of an indication of Florida's offense, just in the sense that, like ideally he was taking some shots that you would just not want him to take. But as the primary ball handler on a team that wasn't great offensively, he was put in some situations where um, he needed to try to create something. And for, for him, um, just kind of what came was a, you know, set, step back jumper, which was, which was not a good look for him. So, you know, and even if the, the what, what was wild about that number, I thought was that even if it, even if his percentages go down a little bit, it's still going to be a pretty good number. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, and uh, like, you know, the sample size wasn't, wasn't massive, but, but it wasn't tiny either. So I just feel like, and what, another thing that was really interesting too, and this is what I got into um, in my article a little bit more. We don't have to talk about it now. We could probably do a whole podcast on <laughs> Andrew Numhart's jump shot. Cause we could do a podcast on like anything, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, he had some pretty wild kind of like when you saw his um, like shooting, like, off the dribble, he really shot better from one side of the floor than the other. I'll just tease it at that. Um, but when it came to catch and shoot, it didn't matter where he was on the floor. So um, though he was, when shooting off the dribble, there were spots, some spots on the floor he was just absolutely ice cold from. If he were to catch and shoot from there, it, it pretty much didn't matter where he was on the floor. He was um, he was great everywhere. And that's something that I actually found really interesting as I looked at a lot of the um, kind of adjusted shot charts of the Gators this year, is that... Um, like even if like uh, so often and, and I mean you and me are guilty of this like just like everyone is and I, I maybe the word guilty is strong but we look at a player and say like um, player x is a 37 percent three-point shooter and because that's what they shoot but I mean if you look at if you just look at any player in the country and you start looking at their shot charts um, you actually see that like like most almost every player has wild swings from the left 45 to the right 45 or from the right corner to straight on. And um, like, there's, there's not many players that are like a 35% three point shooter, like roughly around that number everywhere. It's a lot better chance that he's a 45% shooter from one spot and he's a 25% shooter from another. So I think that that's actually really important as teams look at what shots are good is they shouldn't just look at, Hey, this player is a 40% three point shooter. Um, like even when you're scouting an opponent, say like, Oh, this guy's a 40% for three point shooter. We got to run him off the line, but you could actually look and say like, well, he's actually a 50% three point shooter from this spot. So we want to run him off there. Um, but we can manage the 30% he's shooting from other places. So anyways, this is getting to be mo- just much longer of an answer. But um, <laughs> but that being said, Andrew Nemhart was actually a really good catch-and-shoot shooter, and he was a great catch-and-shoot shooter from everywhere, which is actually quite rare. So we've kind of talked about – I mean, we, we've definitely talked about that. We've kind of talked about some of his weaknesses on the show too, that, that 
make this spring and summer very important for Andrew, the ability to finish better inside. And I think, you know, I haven't done a deep dive uh, statistical analysis of, of whether or not it improved as a still think Andrew has to figure out something inside just to keep defenses from pulling away from him. Make sure that defenses still have to collapse when he gets in the paint. Yeah, I mean, right now that's the thing is if he runs a pick and roll, he's not a threat to shoot off the dribble. And if he attacks off that pick and roll, he's not a big threat when he gets in the paint. So he does need to figure out um, something a little more. Um, especially uh, he, another shot that he took a lot was, was a floater. And, you know, people on the podcast, I'm you know, not a fan <laughs> of floaters at all. Um, so, yeah, just figuring out something. And I think I will try to do a little bit of a, of a deeper dive. Um, he was 47% near the rim which um, just by uh, college basketball on a whole, he's in the 25th percentile, so not great. Um, but he actually, he actually improved um, kind of right near the start of the SEC season. Um, I think he was around – I wrote about it then. I think he was around 36%. Um, so he actually um, got – he actually did really well in SEC play finishing. Um, and, I mean, part of it – but part of that number is also a little bit misleading because he doesn't have a lot of attempts near the basket, and that's something to look at too is just the fact that – um, I think he passed up opportunities to attack just because he um, wasn't always great finishing there. But we did see improvement. Like I, like I said, I, I think in the SEC kind of part of the season, he got a lot better. But um, I think part of that is, um, you know, needs to, get, needs to get stronger, as most players who are, who are freshmen do. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary there. And also, um, yeah, he's, he doesn't, you know, he's not particularly long, even though he is tall. So um, I do think he just needs to become a little bit more creative. Uh, uh, players that aren't super long just need to become a little more creative, taking contact and, and, and finishing. So um, I do think he'll get better. And uh, just because we have already seen him get better from, from day one to, uh, to just to the end of the season. So, uh, it, but that's definitely something to watch for is, is how he can get better at um, both at both at attacking the rim and, and finishing when he gets there. So I wanted to give him some credit Um in terms of, you know, defense and, it, you know, you guys listen to the podcast for a while, you know that, that I like to start talking about players by how they defend. And, and uh, Andrews is a really fundamentally sound defender, um, which I think compensates a lot for the, the kind of lack of plus athleticism. But the one thing that was really fascinating to me, and I sometimes, Eric and I both sometimes lump defense in, in rebounding in with defense a little bit, um, just because so many really good offenses now start with when they get rebounds off missed shots, so it's important to be able to rebound. Um, and Andrew improved in that aspect late in the season. His, some of his best uh, rebounding games actually started uh, late in the year when he was averaging well over three rebounds a game from the middle of February on. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's another thing. If Florida wants to play faster next year, they'll uh, they'll need to rebound the basketball, and uh, especially I mean, if Andrew and Nem- guards need to rebound to do that, sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if if and if Andrew Nemhart can can get rebounds, and then you know you instantly have the ball in the hands of your best ball handler, um, that'll also speed things up. So yeah, you just look at his defensive rebounding rate, um, just the uh, the percentage of misses he grabs at nine point eight, which um, the first thing that jumps out to me is Isaiah Stokes is ten point four, so. Uh, that's probably a little bit more of an indictment <laughs> on, on Stokes than, uh, but it also shows yeah, that, you know, Andrew Nembhard, uh, yeah, his, his, uh, he was the best rebounding or actually Kayvon Allen was 9.9 to Andrew Nembhard's 9.8. So a little bit better of a, of a defensive rebounder, but um, yeah, that is something that's uh, that I thought he did pretty well. And it's something it looks like he makes a, 
makes a conscious effort to to do, which I don't feel like maybe all Florida's guards did at times last year. Um, and yeah, I do think some just something you mentioned before, just how defensively like he is really just like fundamentally sound, and and with his closeouts, he um he's always really disciplined. Um, I really appreciate that about his defensive game. I think he understands angles, and uh, he's really good as a help defender, both um, both in the way he was able to actually get a lot of steals for someone who. Um, yeah, it's not like super long or, or super quick um, just because of his anticipation. And he also had a lot of good just like um, when other teams are running pick and roll and he's in help side position and, and he kind of, you know, stood up in the lane and, and, and closed things off and just forced to pass out. I, I, I thought he did really well there. So um, I think I think for him, it just his defensive if for him to get better defensively, I do think it's just um, becoming a little stronger, becoming a little faster, just because um, I do think he kind of like thinks the game really well. And, and uh, from kind of that standpoint, I do think is, is a good defender. Yeah. And I mean, he could die. He could learn to diagnose things even faster than he already does process things on the court. And I think that could help him defensively too, because there's sort of, you know, there's, there's stuff you can do strength and speed wise, but to some extent, his athleticism is what it is. And so, but if he can process information faster, he can call help faster. He can call a switch faster, you know, and it's something I noticed in the final four watching the final four Saturday was just like uh, a player like, like key Clark or, or um, uh, why am I blanking on the guy's name? Guy, Kyle guy, uh, just how seamlessly they switch. Like when there's a problematic mismatch and they notice it just so they're so fast in noticing that, oh, Switch just got us in a mid-trash, and they can just peel off, and it's almost effortless. And I feel like that's something that, that can help Andrew defensively, too, because when he gets exploited uh, defensively, it's really the same way he gets exploited as a passer. Um, it's usually just by guards with really elite athleticism. Yeah, and uh, just something I just pulled up. Not as a passer, but as a point guard. Right. <laughs> uh, one, one thing, too, and, and I, I will say this with the caveat of, um, judging a player defensively by the metrics is just really, really difficult and is not always accurate. So I will say that, you know, with that caveat, um, when he was a player guarding a jump shooter this year, um, opponents were shooting 24.9%. And that's on, uh, yeah. that's on 169 possessions. So that's a lot of possessions. Wow. So that's, that's a large sample size. And, and opponents were shooting 24.9% right. on his closeouts. Um, also, like, <laughs> you, I feel like you'll love this, Neil. Just from a fundamental standpoint, on the 169 jump shots he closely guarded, he committed zero fouls. Which uh, you know, if you watch the end of that Auburn uh, Virginia game, you know that's that's important. So, well, but, I yeah. mean, that's yeah, bad closeouts. Sorry, I mean, bad closeouts are like it's like a pandemic <laughs> in basketball right now. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, there's obviously so much pressure on the three point shot. And I think people look at that as like oh, I need to, like, absolutely sell out to take away this three-point shot. And, um, yeah, that'll get you in trouble. So, anyways, I do think Adrian Nembhard is, you know, what, just watching him play, I thought his closeout's really good. And now seeing that he is was, like, in, excellent at guarding jump shooters that when closing out to a jump shooter. Um, though, yeah, so th- though those numbers are not always accurate, and uh, sometimes you kind of get dinged for um, being the closest player to a wide-open shooter in um, – uh, kind of in the in a defensive rotation. Um, the fact that on a fairly large sample size, that yeah, the numbers look good for Nimhart there. I would say that there's there's probably something to that. So let's finish the Nimhart segment with just I know mean, Eric's on record saying he thinks that Andrew, you know, all things considered, you know, 
you know, obviously we could change. We we reserve the right to change our opinion because it's our show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you think Andrew will be here one more year, and and I've said two. What would Andrew have to do for for you to feel comfortable in that one year projection? Like, is there anything he'd have to certainly get better uh, in your mind, or is it just sort of, you know, he can do that when he goes professional anyway? Yeah, I mean, I do think he's going to have to hit shots off the dribble. That's something that I think that in the NBA is so important for guards. Um, I, I, there's, there's still probably some question marks about his defense at, at the NBA level, just because, I mean, like I said, I think he's a good defender now, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are elite defenders in NBA in, or in college that go to the NBA or are suddenly average defenders. So, uh, yeah, there's probably some of that, but yeah, I just think in, in the, for the, for teams looking at Andrew Nemhard as a, or looking for an NBA guard, I should say, um, they want guys who can create their own shots and, and right now he can't do that. And I do think that his, um, his passing is just so elite, but I do think that'll be kind of mitigated a little bit if he can't kind of create his own shot. So um, I do think that the, just kind of the, I, I think he'll just need to become a better, better player shooting off the dribble and he needs to be able to, to finish at the rim better. And uh, those will kind of be the things that I, that I kind of watch for him to improve for, uh, uh, to, yeah, to feel more comfortable in my, my claim that he'll only be in Florida for one more year. Excellent. And so the next player I wanna, we're going to discuss is Noah Locke. Um, and so it's kind of hard to evaluate Noah in the sense that he played a lot of the year hurt. Um, so I think some of his percentages suffered as a result of that. I don't think, I know that they did. Um, that said, one thing that struck me about Noah was that his offensive reading, uh, that metric was one of the top 20 in the SEC, uh, even with the injury. Uh, he limits turnovers, just super careful with the basketball. You know, most freshmen, whether they're a point guard or a secondary ball handler, are going to have more than one turn a game where they have more than one turnover during their freshman year. They're just going to. Nolak didn't. He never turned the ball over more than once in a basketball game uh, as a freshman, and that's tremendous. You're going to see two teams play tonight for the national title that are super careful with the ball, which is part of the reason that it's such an intriguing game, but I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. So I think when you talk about Noah, you have to say his percentages probably, Eric, are back where they were pre-injury. And I think for him, this offseason is almost exclusively about getting stronger um, so that he can be a little better uh, when there's contact and physicality when he gets inside. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, I was obviously talking about Nemhard needing to get better at, at finishing at the rim. Um, you look at Noah Locke, he took 10 shots at the rim all season. Uh, <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, 10 shots at the rim. So that is, um, that's obviously not a lot. Um, you then add in, he was, uh, you know, he took a good amount of, uh, you know, kind of uh, two-point jump shots and didn't shoot them at a very high percentage. Um, he also didn't shoot the runner very well. The floater was bad to him as well, like it is to 95% of college players. So um, he was really there with a three-point shot. And the three-point shot was was tremendous, obviously. Um, it's when he went healthy. And I think that that's, you know, the closer to what he is than than when he was injured. Um, but yeah, right now his, his offensive game is is really limited. And I think that that's going to be something for him to um, – that he just needs to expand. Uh, obviously, if the, his three-point shot, if he just shoots a three-point shot, he'll always be 
um, just kind of a useful rotation guy. But for him to for him to get better, he does need to be able to to have a little more dimension to his offensive game. Um, another thing that I actually thought was um, was interesting relative to his to his jump shot, looking at the numbers, um, was that he was really good catch and shoot shooter. Um, not quite as good at um, that shooting off the dribble, but was still really good. Um, but he was really bad at, at shooting off screens, which I thought was something for him to get better at was, is just to shoot off movement, not necessarily like not movement in, in the sense of shooting off the dribble, which I mean, any, everyone can get better at. Um, but just, uh, yeah, he just didn't shoot the ball well coming off screens. And I think that that, that just became, yeah. that's kind of just an interesting thing. Cause you think about like, well, how do you get players um, jump shots? You think like, um, Oh, like, you know, run them off the screen. But yeah, he shot 31.6% off screens, which um, yeah, wow. just wasn't, wasn't great. So um, in, I was, I'm surprised. Yeah, at that. it is. It is pretty surprising. And um, just, just because, I mean, that's something you'd like to, uh, you'd like to see him utilized as, as a guy that you run him off screens and defenses have to react. And the good news is that's something you can fix by the way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not like, Oh, like I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to, you know, shoot off screens. Like that's something you can that's something you can practice in an off season and improve a lot. Yeah, totally. And and I think that's another thing, just if he can get better at that. Like just I mean, a lot of our conversation this summer, I'm sure, and um has just been like how can Florida's offense get better? Um if he if he becomes yeah, a catch and shoot threat, I mean that would be uh that'd be excellent. Or sorry, not a catch like off, um, like off to run him off the screen and be a catch and shoot. Because yeah, when his feet are yeah, set yeah, he's yeah, a catch yeah. and shoot, he's excellent. But uh, to be able to run him off a screen and, and then, you know, shoot off movement that way that'd be great so yeah when i mentioned his two points i didn't even i wasn't even really thinking about Noah getting to the rim and getting baskets i don't think that that's really ever I, he's just not explosive enough first step wise for that i think to ever be a big part of his game but i do i do think that there are certain players that because eric and i have kind of lamented two-point jump shots <laughs> um throughout the podcast but there are there are some players that make it at a high enough percentage from 16, 17 feet that and I'm not talking about floaters. I'm talking about those. I get in the lane and, and can make a two point jump shot, almost like zone busting jumpers. Right. Um, where, you know, I think Locke can improve that. Like he, he hits some of them. And if he gets stronger and a little more physical, I think that will help him um in in that regard you know I, i'm not gonna say cash swinson because they're just not even remotely comparable because swinson's so fast but uh he just certainly is a guy that makes a lot of those um maybe a better comparison for somebody that used to make a lot of those until he fixed his point shot is actually kyle guy yeah well one of the i'm just like you just kind of shot sure now it's it's kind of really interesting. 32 of 87 from two pointers, 36. Well, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. So I mean, you look at um, so kind of on the right wing, um, kind of the right 45. When just kind of like the one step in from the three point line, that like 17 to 23 foot range, he shot five for seven, so he's like 71. percent um, And then he shot 55.6 percent, like on on mid range, like the the 17 to 23 percent straight on. Um, so just like behind the foul line, just kind of at the the kind of f- f- jump arc there he shot 56.6 percent there um but when he took a step in so like free throw line jump shots he was four for 16 25 percent um from the right kind of the right wing mid-range he was 0 for 7 um from uh from the left side of the floor in mid-range he shot 45 percent which is which is good so uh once so even from the mid-range it was the shots that were like 
just over the three point line that he was still shooting a really high percentage. Um, but yeah, he just, the, the, the touch of those like free throw line ish jumpers, I still think he needs to figure out. And I mean, that's just like, that is a different shot from the three point line. It's just, um, uh, it is a lot more like finesse. And when you're shooting a lot of long jumpers, like lock, um, adjusting to take a 14 footer is definitely different. So, um, for yeah, for someone like that who's not like you were mentioning, probably won't be a guy who ever gets to the rim and t- a ton and finishes. Um, getting better at those uh, kind of free throw line ish jump shots would be um, would be probably something that would really help him. Um, defensively, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be a guard that that rebounds particularly well. Um, again, just just somewhat of an athleticism deficit. Uh, I do think that as he grows and matures, he'll be able to get in passing lanes a little more, maybe get some more steals, because he does have good natural instincts as a defender. Yeah, I actually thought he was a really good defender until he got injured. And, I mean, just to see him after the injury, where it just seemed like, you know, if a player was driving on him and took him left and then just crossed over to his right, um, just his injury just, injur- just did not give him the flexibility at the hips to to move well enough to keep up. So. Um, but before that, I actually, I actually thought he was a really good defender. That that kind of surprised me. Um, probably a lot of that too was just the fact that I mean, you see guys that can shoot the ball so well. There is kind of the like, oh, I bet that guy's not a very good defender. But but yeah, before the injury, I thought he <laughs> could. I thought he could pressure the ball pretty well and, and could move side to side and, and played with good energy and um, was good within the uh, the press and uh, did a lot of good stuff there. So um, for him to just get fully healthy, I think will be the the biggest thing just to get him back to. Um, to kind of some better defensive, uh, better defensive performance, but um, uh, he's another guy that, um, yeah, he's another he's another guy that um, you know, like being not super big, but also being not a point guard is going to find himself in some tough matchups. So, um, so just getting he, he's another guy who I do think needs to get just stronger because um, he's going to be playing against bigger wings and bigger bigger guards, and a lot of times they just drove it on him and took it into his body and protected the ball and, and finished over top of him and. Um, that's yeah. Noah Locke's just uh, just a freshman, so he can certainly get a lot better there. But uh, that'll be a, another dimension for him to improve. So he he's a guy that and and so the two two of the guys that we talked about on today's show, um, are actually two of the three guys that Mike White isolated pretty consistently is like the three players in the program he trusted every day. Locke and Nimhard, and and so I think I think you're talking about two of the potential leaders on a really young team as well. So from that aspect, um, you kind of have to appreciate what these guys offer to spread. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for, uh, for, sorry, for white to speak so highly of those two um, as, as freshmen and just kind of talk about their leadership. I mean, honestly, like I think some of it was like thinly veiled shots at his upperclassmen, but also it also was a good, um, yeah, it was kind of a good, uh, indication of just the leadership abilities uh, of Locke and Emhart, and and they're both just super mature kids. Um, Locke, I just thought every like every time I've spoken to him, I think he's great, and he's just super polite and and likable. And uh, the way he plays on the floor and his his body language when he's on the floor, his body language when he's on the bench. Um, we didn't get to see uh, Andrew Emhart's body language on the bench because he wasn't on it very often. But <laughs> I'm sure it would be, I'm sure it's great when he's there. But um, yeah, it's uh, and even just the fact that in in Coach White's kind of last presser of the season where he said that, um, yeah, the Lock and Emhart went up to him and said um, that they, like, you know, were ready and wanted to be to be leaders um, this upcoming year just kind of shows that, um, yeah, that shows a lot of maturity. And 
um, I'm just very happy that those are going to be the guys that are um, <laughs> that Florida's, uh, you know, hopefully on the assumption Andrew Navar doesn't leave to go pro this summer, which I don't think he will. Um, yeah, just I'm just really happy those guys are coming back, and uh, I do think they're just extremely important to the program. So let's wrap the guard section of our roster review with just some thoughts on on man and Glover. I know we spent a lot of time talking to these guys. You just talked to Quest Glover um, for Gator Country. So kind of do you have any impressions from that conversation? Um, he's another guy who's um... – yeah, I, I find him really likable, and just uh, it's just interesting because obviously something I think you and me talked about off the off the podcast was just that like so many people speak so highly of Quez Glover off the floor, and um, I just it was just kind of confirmed talking to him, and I, I think he's a really he's very smart, he's very easy to talk to, um, but yeah, and just also I've had the chance having the chance to watch him play a few times, um, he's got this like he plays with a ton of passion um, on the floor. He's and, good. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and off the floor, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's just, um, he doesn't, he doesn't quite show the same passion, but also, which just to me like shows like, um, he can kind of like, he, he's really intelligent. Like, and I think that a lot of people saw how fiery he plays on the floor and just think that he's kind of a loose cannon at times. But I mean, you talk to the floor, you talk to him off the floor and yeah, he just comes across as very smart. And, um, yeah, it just shows uh, just everything. Everything so far points to me thinking that Florida kind of got a hidden gem. That's, I guess, that would be um, just the another thing from talking to him was just like, wow, this like th- this kid seems to know what's <laughs> have his priorities straight. He seems to be um, seems to be ready for the moment. He's not like like he's very like he's very like gracious that you know Florida was his first power five offer and that it worked out and everything. But also, I don't like he also seemed like like he's ready for this. Like, this is what this is what he deserved. Like, it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm so glad Florida came and like threw me a bone. It was like, no, I've been working for this and I deserve this. And I'm going to kind of show you why. And um, yeah, just made me all the more excited to, to see him play with the Gators. And we've talked about what he offers. I mean, in terms of just giving Florida multiple point guards, obviously, but giving Florida, uh, you know, a change of pace and, and a point guard who can actually you know, really score in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that'll be the biggest thing is just this change of pace from, from Nemhart. Um, I think one of the things too, that uh, just as we talk about, about man and, and Glover, uh, I, I was just gonna, I'm interested in what your th- take is, but um, one, do you see, I mean, these things can honestly kind of tie into each other, but my first question is, um, do you see man playing more of the one or more of the two this upcoming season? And um, that kind of ties in because, I mean, if you see – if you do see Man playing a lot of the two, um, then maybe you actually you, – you see Glover playing, you know, contributing some good minutes at the one. So I'm, I'm just interested. Those are kind of my two questions tied in together as one for you. So I think that, you know, I really think they brought Glover in to be the backup point guard. And I think he'll play minutes and kind of ease the burden on Nimhart, especially in, in the non-conference, if that makes sense. Um, so I think – I think White would love to manage Andrew's minutes a little more in November and December. And I think Quest Glover will give him a chance to do that. And then you can kind of take it from there. Because um, I think I think one of the big things about bringing Glover in when they evaluate the roster as a whole was what can we do to make Trey Mann, you know, and we've talked about it because Eric brought up the great point on the last pod about if Scotty Lewis weren't coming to Florida – Trey man would be like somebody we talk about all the time. <laughs> um, I had villages prep uh, for a tournament that we were in and 
one thing Trey Mann really offers is somebody that can really score or play well off the pick and roll. And Florida just didn't really have a lot of that this year. That's another dimension of the offense that I think they want to get, man. But he doesn't really have to be primary ball handler to handle that. You can have him as secondary ball handler and get him the ball. Or, you know, there's lots of ways to for that to work. I don't think he has to be playing point guard for that to be effective. Um, and so that's the first one. And then he's also, you know, you can run actions for him where he gets the ball and then he's really dangerous off the bounce, like if he comes off a handoff or comes off a ball screen. So there's different ways that I think you can get him where he can either lull you to sleep and then bury that three, or he can lull you to sleep and then blow past you because he's got that quick first step. But I think you want to simplify the game for him and make it about how do we maximize his offense when he's on the floor. Yeah, and I think, once again, just the way we look at the roster, I mean, right now I, I think that there's – at the, you know, at the three and four spots – there's not a lot of, I don't know, we're not at that point yet, but there's just, uh, there's not a lot of players right now for the Gators. And that means that I don't like, though I think that in a lot of situations, Scotty Lewis would be, um, you know, would be playing some shooting guard. I just don't think, I, I think Florida's going to need him to play the three almost exclusively or, or maybe even blame at the four. So I think that um, he's not in the guard mix. And um, also Keontae Johnson's probably going to have to play a ton of four too, just like at the roster right now, barring um, a transfer. So, uh, I, I just think that um, man is going to have to play and have to play a good amount. And um, for that to be the case, I think he's probably going to have to play it at the wing. And that means that that Glover, I think, will have to play. So I think you look at Nemhart playing 32.9 minutes per game last year. Um, I think ideally yeah. that might be, you know, 30 or something. So if he, if Nemhart plays 30 minutes and, and Glover plays 10, I don't think that's um, – I don't think that's out of the question for, for, you know, I know that it's, you know, he's Glover's still a freshman, but um, uh, for, you know, 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes a game, I think that might be something we see from Glover. And I, you know, the way he's able to kind of score the ball, I think he'll be able to defend, especially when, um, especially playing only 10 minutes a game. And it's not like he's going to have to, you know, pace himself for starters minutes. I think he'll be effective. And I know it's just kind of funny for a guy that didn't have a power five offer up until Florida for me to now be like, yeah, I'm expecting him to, you know, play 10 minutes a game as a freshman. That might sound a little bit ridiculous. And um, I understand that, but, uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a Glover believer. And I also think that uh, man is going to have to play a lot of the two. And, and therefore um, I think that, yeah, I think it's probably going to work out to, uh, to Glover kind of getting into the mix. Yeah. I mean, look, Javante smart was a guy that played about 70% of LSU's minutes. Um and I think man is plus compared to smart in terms of offense, especially. Um, and so like, I kind of envision man having about 65 to 70%, you know, minutes usage rate. And I just don't see any world where if that's his usage rate, it's primarily point guard, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I'd have to think of again. <laughs> so, that's kind of where I'm at on it, and that's kind of going to be uh, that'll be our that'll that'll kind of conclude unless Eric had any final thoughts. Our our breakdown of guards, and we'll do forwards on the next show, because um, we actually have a couple more transfer people to talk about, and we wanted to get to that today. The first is um, Anthony Jurgi of uh, Louisiana Tech, who is going to be on campus this weekend. Yeah, he's a very interesting player to me. And um, the, I mean, the first thing I, I, that I just think needs to be said, too, is just the fact that he is not going to uh, – uh, he's not someone who's going to play next year just because he'll have to sit out a year. 
Um, and I think that that is not super ideal at this point, um, yeah. just truthfully. Uh, and I do acknowledge that. And I just think that's something that's, um, that kind yeah, of I think we both to be... need to get that out there. There needs to sit spot is not optimal. It's not, it's not optimal right now for, cause the floor, cause the Gators need someone at the, at the three and the four to, to take minutes. And, and Walter, she would have been the absolute perfect guy if he was eligible right now. Um, yeah, he's, he's not. And I know a lot of people have still been like, Hey, do you think he could get a waiver? And I mean, like he played 33 games, like 30 minutes a game for Louis Tech last year. <laughs> so I don't think there's just any, any, I mean, but Hey, you know, you never know with the NCAA, but anyways, um, like, first of all, so Drew G is just like, uh, an absurd athlete. Like he just is so, um, like when I, and when I say like, you know, there's a lot of places. vertical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Cause I mean, there's a lot of thrown around. Like this guy's a good athlete. Well, I mean, like, like Neil said, he has a 46 inch vertical leap. Like that is absurd. That's higher than Keontae Johnson's for a reference. By four inches. By and, four inches. And Drew G is six <laughs> foot seven. So, um, so yeah, he's just, he is an absolute freak of an athlete. Um, could fi- really finish well around the hoop. Not only like, like, yes, he could dunk and could dunk a lot of things. And it was amazing watching his film, but it's also like, he did have some good finishes that were not dunks and just um, could play through a lot of contact, uh, very strong. And uh, that was kind of, uh, that, that was something I noticed. And he also shot the three um, really well, uh, just especially off. He was not a great shooter off the dribble, but as a catch and shoot guy, especially from the corners um, was really good. So uh, once again, is it ideal to have someone who is um, sitting one right now? Um, is that ideal for Florida right now? It's, it's not. But if you're going to, but I mean, I honestly think like this, he might be worth taking the hit to your roster this year um, to then get two years out of him and a red shirt, just because I mean, like gambling on a guy that might have the highest vertical leap in college basketball, who can also shoot the three. Well, um, that might be a good option. So uh, while the only, like the only thing that would keep me from being like, Oh yeah, I really hope Florida takes him and just be like, man, Florida needs someone who can um, provide some minutes right now. Um what do looking at his game and how it profiles it's like wow this guy is absolutely someone that they should attack as a as a transfer so um the thing and and you know i think in terms of what florida needs long term he he checks a lot of boxes um you know, Eric talked about his athleticism it looks like you know maybe the the three-point percentage could improve a little bit but uh, you know, maybe not, but he did, he, he took 115 of them. So he's not afraid to shoot it. And what I'd say to people is 33% is not very far from where Kayvon Allen was. <laughs> um, maybe you don't want to hear that, but it's true. Uh, a really high block percentage. Quite honestly, when I saw a film of him, I thought, man, that guy looks like somebody that Florida state has that just kills Florida every year. That's a great point. Um, another thing, too, that I always am kind of interested by, just because whenever you see a potential transfer, um, you know, you kind of look at the league they play in and you're, you kind of wonder, like, oh, like, um, you, you just wonder, like, oh, like, we know what that translate. And, uh, yeah, they, Louisiana Tech played LSU this year and he had 22 points and six rebounds. Um, Close game. So I think that, yeah, yeah, they played Louisiana, they played LSU tight. So I think that was, like, Kind of a good indication. You know, UNC Greensboro is a good team. He had 14 and, and five against them, so played pretty well. Um, didn't play well against Wichita State, but that was the first That was the first game of the season. So, you know, that's um, – yeah, whatever. But, um, yeah, just generally speaking, uh, he is limited. Like, like you know, he's, uh, he's pretty much like a 3 and D guy, realistically. Um, not, uh, not as much like a uh, 
he, he doesn't have a super advanced game. Um, but yeah, like someone who could be just an elite defender who could knock down the three and is an elite, just like with elite athleticism and a red shirt year. Um, that'd be pretty great. He was the best player on the floor a couple times when they played for Atlantic too. Um, and just watched a little of that. So they probably, the staff, I would imagine the staff got some sort of evaluation from Dusty May. Um, it just makes too much sense. <laughs> uh, and it was really important in their, in their conference tournament win over Florida Atlantic. Um, he, he had 14 points and six rebounds and two blocks of that game and just played tremendous defense on Xavier Stapleton, who uh, was a Florida state guy that, that Dusty May ended up with. So I think, you know, they've got, uh, they've got at least some insight into what he's capable of against decent to plus competition which, like Eric said, is a little different than a lot of the transfers that, that I think you evaluate from time to time. Yeah, and uh, going back to just his, his jump shot that you know could improve, it just looks he's um, – so he's like a 28% shooter off the dribble, um, which is, um, yeah, not great. Um, when it came to guarded jump shots, he was shooting 28% as well for catch and shoot. Uh, but on unguarded jump shots, he was shooting 41%. So – um, that's, you know, so as a cat, that's someone who's just like, you know, as a catch and shoot guy, he's, he's really good. Um, is not someone you probably want kind of creating and taking, and he actually did take a lot of those jump shots off the dribble, which is, was not a great shot for him. Um, right. yeah, as a catch and shoot guy, um, pretty good. And, and, uh, that, those kind of numbers, the fact he can shoot so well unguarded right now, obviously he needs to, um, you know, get a little bit better. So when a guy's, you know, really has a hand in his face. Um, he can still hit those shots, but uh, kind of the bones are there to show that, especially with the redshirt season, he could be a, he could be a really good shooter. Um, then the other transfer we wanted to talk about was uh, Alihan Demir, who I guess Florida has reached out to. And look, I know Florida fans are are uh, even changing Twitter handle names to to Kerry Blackshear, right? And, like I love it. I love the enthusiasm and. Um, Gatorade 08, one of our longtime listeners is like, you know, occasionally breaking the cardinal rule of not tweeting at players, but like doing it in the best way possible. Like, hey, Carrie, are you awake? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love it. It's so funny. Like, absolutely nothing beyond that. And, um, but, but Carrie Blackshear hasn't said that he's leaving yet. And Virginia Tech just hired Mike Young from Wofford. So, uh, I would imagine Mike Young is is talking to Kerry Blackshear today about you know all the reasons he should stay in Blacksburg, and we don't need to talk about that. Alion Demar is a six nine uh, power forward that can play right away. Yeah, he is, and kind uh, of watched him for a little bit before this podcast. Um, just hearing about it because I yeah I know Florida's in the mix. Um, he is a player that um, is really good in the in scoring and post ups. Something that Florida doesn't have a lot of. He shot 57.8% on post-ups on a lot of post-ups, which um, is really impressive. So uh, one of the best in the country, really, especially given the volume. Um, he shot a lot of threes, didn't hit them, uh, or guess I should say a good amount of threes. Didn't, uh, uh, didn't hit a lot of them, but um, stroke doesn't look too bad. Um, I don't think he defends very well at all. Um, that would be my that biggest concern. That team defended terribly. Yes, and I will say maybe I was a little um, – I looked at the uh, like I looked at their numbers before I before I watched them, so maybe I was you know had some some bias there, just saying like wow this team's not good defensively at all. 
Um, so bad. But, uh, but yeah, they were really bad by the metrics. Watching him play, they are really bad. And I do think that Demir was, was part of that. Um, he's not a great athlete. He doesn't move very well at all. Um, he's not athletic. He didn't protect the rim super well. And um, that would definitely be concerning to me from, uh, you know, if he played a Florida standpoint. Uh, but he does score the ball really well inside and uh, in a way that no one on the roster currently can. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, like I mentioned before, some of his numbers are like, yeah, this is one of the best post-up players in the country, um, which, you know, for a team that had, you know, has currently has like zero post-up threats, um, that's something that they could work with. Yeah, I was going to say, my, my brief 20 minutes of video on him was um, definitely can score, definitely can score in the post. Um, certainly, if, if he has to shoot a three, uh, he, he's not afraid to, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and then plus passer was the only thing Eric didn't mention. Mm. He, he does appear to, to be a pretty good passer with a reasonably low turnover rate. Yeah, especially um, kind of using him out of the uh, out of the pick and roll a little bit on the kind of short roll where he gets the ball kind of near the, th- the free throw line. Um, that was that was something he did pretty well. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm just uh, when I just kind of close my eyes and imagine um, you know him playing against SEC competition, I, I still need to squint a little bit just because of the the kind of defensive problems and I I, I see. Okay, like while while acknowledging that he is not Isaiah Stokes, especially in build or whatever, um, just thinking like how quickly Isaiah Stokes played himself off the floor a few times um, last year, I just kind of think like, man, I, I see him guarding pick and rolls, and uh, I I can I just it, it could be a problem for the Gators. Um, but unlike Isaiah Stokes, um, I really do think he offers a lot on the on the offensive side. So uh, I he'd be a guy that I would, you know, Florida if Florida got him. I could definitely talk myself into being into thinking like, Hey, this is a really good, this is a good pickup. Uh, right now I'm a little, I'm a little gun shy. If it I'm not happen. nuts about it. I, you know, I'll be honest. I'm not nuts about it. I, I think it's a contingency plan. Look, I think that the way this is trending and it's still early, you know, the final four is not even over until t- tonight, <laughs> but, uh, but the way it's trending, it kind of looks like maybe Florida knows something about Blackshear. We don't cause they're not after, you know, they haven't been relentlessly in pursuit of any of the name bigs that are already on the market, really. Um, this is really the first guy other than Sestina who we know that they've made contact with. And Sestina chose Kentucky uh, to really nobody's surprise. So, um, you know, it's obvious that I'd say two things. And let me, I'm kind of interested in Eric's take on it. One is it's clear they know they need a four or a five. And that's the route they're going with a grad transfer. And two, um, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe they're not. Maybe, maybe they know something about Blackshear. We don't, or you know, we can't speculate on any of that. But, but the guys they're they're facing are kind of the classic grad transfer big, right? They're all flawed. I mean, Brunk was flawed. Uh, this guy Demir is flawed. You know, so. It's hard to get Reed Travis, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, even even I mean, you look at Reed Travis, and I, I mean, he kind of had his his flaws too, just as a guy. Right, he had warts. Yeah, had so, warts. Um, but I mean, that's 
yeah, there's very few players that are perfect in college basketball. And the thing is, everyone wants front court players, you know, in the graduate. It's, it's funny because, I mean, when it comes to recruiting and everything, it's, it's all about, you know, guards and wings. But uh, when it comes to when it comes time for, uh, um, for grad transfer, it seems everyone wants a grad transfer big. So um, I Florida's do going to add one. It's just kind of like that's what I guess my point is. Like it's clear Florida's going to add somebody. Right. Um, I, I think for me right now, it's um, uh, we don't need to shift the conversation a, a ton to more players. But, you know, there's one of the players that I do think that Florida has a, a good chance of of landing in terms of um, they might want him and, uh, you know, he might be interested too is uh, is Trey Wade, a, a Juco kind of 3-4. Um, yeah, I like and- him better than the than the Drexel kid. And that, and that was going to be my question. Let's say, <laughs> let's, like, I was getting, which I mean, I think you might have already answered the question, but I'll change a little bit. Let's say that Florida lands Deruji and uses that scholarship for his redshirt year and now only has one scholarship available for a player that's going to contribute next season. Would you rather them take Demir or, or Trey Wade? Oh, then it gets complicated. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought was like, let's, yeah, let's say magically um, Deruji comes to Florida this weekend and commits. Um, and, and that's the problem scholarship. with Deruji, by the way. Yeah. That's why, like, so, I mean, because I like the idea of an Anthony Deruji, But, again, we don't know everything going on behind the scenes. So, we don't know what, what Florida's thought is on a waiver. Like, if they're just going to take a sit one, play two on the chin. Uh, and then they decided they liked Deruji better than the UNLV kid, who they also were talking to. Um, okay. Then I mean De Jong, not uh, Shocker right. Juiston. Um, yeah, I mean, it really limits what you can do with that other scholarship. Because to me, I think it has to be a four or five. Uh, I guess that means, yeah, I guess to me that would be a little bit of, um, uh, if you think, like how much four you think the Trey Wade could play. Um, which I'm not like, I mean, so as a Juco player, um, it's a lot harder for me to find film. I'm like, I mean, you tell me any player yeah. in division one and I can go and watch every single minute he played this year. Um, <laughs> I'm not able to do that with Juco players, unfortunately. So, um, I'm not as familiar truthfully, but I am going to talk to him this week. Maybe today, actually, I'm going to give him a, give him a text after this podcast. But, um, yeah, I think that I, I'm actually, I was going to ask you another one too, is it who you like more between Diong and Demir? Because I do think that those are, um, kind of actually very different players where Demir is the uh, kind of the bucket getter doesn't defend a lot. Whereas Young, I think is more limited defensively or sorry, offensively, but is a better defender and rebounder. So uh, that's my next question to you as well. Who would you rather have Young or Demir? Well, in that world, there's no chance that Florida takes two sit one transfers. Right. Um, but if they take one sit one transfer, like I, I'd rather have Young than Demir because I'd rather have Kavarius Hayes any day of the week than upgraded Isaiah Stokes. I hate to make these like blanket comparisons, but I'm trying right. to put it in context for listeners. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. Um, but I don't think, look, if Florida's bringing Deruji to campus, then there's a chance they're looking for a commitment, obviously. Um, you know, I don't think they'd bring him to campus just to show him around and then be like, well, we don't have a scally for you. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do so. think this could be a, I, I wouldn't be surprised by, by a commitment from him. And uh, then that'll get very interesting as to, uh, as to what they, uh, what they do with the last scholarship. But um, yeah. Right. I mean, I do expect we'll hear from Kerry Blackshear in some point in the next week or so, just cause you know, if he's going to declare for the draft and go through that process, then maybe that buys him more time and you could get into a situation where it's not, it's June and Florida has a scholarship open if they're waiting on him. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the staff's going to do. And 
that's what makes the podcast uh <laughs> interesting from week to week i hope yeah well the the thing too is like like my my hot prediction i mean this is much of a prediction but if i'm carry blackshear um two things i think are going to happen for him is i think he's going to um enter the transfer portal just because you know like he might return obviously to virginia tech but you'd think he's at least going to weigh his options so he's going to go into the transfer portal but i also think he's going to declare for the draft and go through that process so i'm what i don't know is like what order those events have to take place. You know, like if he (laughs) enters the transfer portal, um, enters the NBA draft process, um, pulls out of the NBA draft process, is still in the portal and then decides, or if he needs to like go to the draft, withdraw his name and then enter that draft. Like, I I don't, I just don't really know how that situation works quite frankly um, with the new rules. So, um, but those are two things I do think that'll happen is I, I at least think that Blackshear, if nothing else will, just, you know, leave his options open to potentially transferring just because he should, you know, weigh his options and, and, you know, probably just, you know, look at what other teams have to say. And I, but I do think he'll definitely go to the NBA draft as, as well, just to see what kind of feedback he would get. And um, that could mean some, uh, that could mean a long wait for the Gators, quite frankly, about what, um, again, he's a guy who's not even declared he's going to grad transfer and we, we are talking about him, but um if he were to grad transfer, it's, it would still be a long. We're giving the, the people what they want. I know, here. but yeah, because it would still be just a long wait to see to see um, if he'd become a Gator. Like, uh, it, like I mean, this could be in this could be in June or so after the after the combine, um, where for him to make his uh, <laughs> for to like really make his decision of, of where he's headed. So yeah, that, and that puts for a lot run. of pressure. Sorry, that puts a lot of pressure on Florida as a staff because then you're you're holding out a scholarship for a player that's not even necessarily going to come to your school until June. It's a tough, so you see the situation that they're in. Um, But I still like the addition of Glover changed things a little bit because it, it meant that with the two new freshmen out of the class, Florida, you know, if they're going to add a sit one player, they almost are forced to take a grad transfer big, not another wing. Right. Um, not to not to skew the uh, the conversation once again too far too far out, but I mean, um, watching the Geico Nationals the other day and seeing Omar Payne play um, for Montverde, like he was not very good. And I, I don't mean to just be like I mean I don't want to make any snap judgments on on his um, future career as a Gator, um, but he is not someone I imagine contributing much at uh, next year at all for the Gators. Um, and he's someone that, you know, earlier in the process, I would have thought like, oh, maybe I, I do see him kind of playing some minutes here or there, being in their rotation. Uh, I don't know. The last few times I've seen him play, even before the Geico Nationals, I, I've just been like, yeah, I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to contribute right away. Um, so you, you kind of look at that and, and it's like, well, there's, there's kind of a five man. I know some people see him as a four. I, I do see him as a college center, um, at least personally. And, uh, but I don't think he's contributing. Um, you know, Jatobo told me in an interview, he's going to bat, he wants to battle for minutes this next season. And I thought that was really interesting, but you know, another, another freshman for sure. And um, it's like, man, Florida has a lot of, a lot of centers on the roster right now. And not a lot of them are, are proven contributors. Um, and that is kind of concerning of like, Oh, you, we've got, we're going to have pain. We're going to have Jatobo. We're going to have Stokes. We're going to have Gak. We're going to have Bassett. And then it's like, yeah, if they if they add another, you know, a grad transfer center, I mean, that's that's six centers on your roster. And yeah, that I is... mean, a four a four would probably be better, unless you can get Blackshear. Really, I that, and that's actually that is my thought. So going back to my initial question, even about 
you know, Demir or Trey Wade. I mean, I would rather have Trey Wade just for roster construction, not saying he's, you know, a better player in a vacuum, but um, just someone who, yeah, someone who can play three or four right now, I, I do think is more valuable unless, unless it's black chicks. I mean, I like, like realistically, whoever Blackshear plays for next year, like there's a chance he's the best center in college basketball, just because of the way, just as a veteran, well-rounded player on both sides of the floor, he could be the one of the most impactful centers in college basketball next year, no matter who he plays for. Any pick any program he could go to or stay at Virginia Tech, um, you know, versus you know, so that you you take a guy like that. But I mean, other than that, I mean, Florida does have a lot of centers on on campus, and you'd hope that maybe one of them wins out as someone you can play as a starter or, you know, two guys win out that can contribute 40 minutes between them of good basketball. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's just the one thing is, I mean, if Florida takes a, a center, that's, that's not black sheer and you just uh, like, there's a situation where like going back to Demir, I mean, seeing the way that he struggles defensively is like, I could envision a universe where it's like, we're playing in the SEC tournament next year and he's unplayable because he's getting picked on and pick and roll every single possession. And it's like, wow, we have six centers on the rod or, you know, we had five centers on the roster and we decided to add a six, a sixth who's like not elite in the role. And I think that there's part of that. That's like, Oh man, that is not ideal versus like, Hey, we did not like, we do not have a lot of guys that can play the three, four and we, we didn't take a guy that could play the three, four. So um, yeah, I, I'm just really interested interested to see what the staff does yeah no doubt it's it's a tough uh i think it's a tough it's a tough situation that they're in um and you know let's be honest about it i mean some of this is is of their own doing based just on how (laughs) these uh these past roster recruiting classes didn't really you know connect or create reliable players at those positions and i know a lot of people like to pick on dante bassett um but, you know, I think the reality is right now, of the players currently on the roster, that's the most reliable player you have at the four or the five that's coming back. So that's one of the reasons I think, you know, a grad transfer four makes a lot of sense. And maybe a sit one wing like Anthony DeRushi doesn't. Um, and like, I'll kind of leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's, um, I, like Neil mentioned, if they're bringing, um, to bringing Druji to campus this weekend, I would say that there's, you know, there's a chance we hear some news about that soon. So uh, if he, if he were to commit, that'll make things pretty interesting. And uh, uh, yeah, but, but I mean, until then, until we start seeing kind of some of these grad transfers fall off the, uh, kind of see one, a couple of these dominoes drop. Um, yeah. It's a little tough to comment on now, but just, uh, it's just funny. Yeah. They're still just, even with Florida already picking up some, you know, having players transfer out and, and filling them with some scholarships already. It just seems like there's still just like so many ways the, uh, the roster could go. Absolutely. So that's our show for this week. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to uh, the guys at uh, Gators breakdown for the uh, shout out a couple of weeks ago. We certainly appreciate it. Make sure you check out them for uh, all your spring game coverage. Um, Dave and the guys do a really good job, but we appreciate you um, drop a rating for us on, on iTunes. Uh, if you can, just because those actually help, believe it or not, we don't just tell you to do that for no reason. They like help with distribution and placement when like people type college basketball podcast in and all that stuff. So I appreciate it. And, and thanks to Eric as always for joining me. Yeah, that's uh, that's a quick thing to do. Uh, I promise you to leave those reviews. And yeah, thank you again to the Gators Breakdown guys who kind of shouted us out a few podcasts ago. And um, I'm a big fan of their podcast and they have a, uh, 
Um, as some of you will know, I'm definitely a basketball guy first, and uh, I'm not an expert on football. They've, they've really helped me with uh, learning the game of football and learning Florida football, so I'm, I'm grateful to them for that. So, um, but yeah, thanks for listening.